2: Hi and hello, and welcome to Friday night. Uh, You made it through the week, and if you were on the train to Grand Central today, well, forget about it, it's closed. Uh, It's been a crazy Friday. But tonight, if you're with me, I'm gonna walk you through a true crime night that will knock your socks off, and that's a promise. Let's start with this. The whole Sean Williams business, the guy who's alleged to have raped over 52 women, videotaping his rapes because he knocked them out unconscious, drugged them, had thumb drives, on the run, bust out of a transport van. That part's a whole story on its own. How would he get out, right? He's got cuffs and leg irons and shackles and all the rest. But he gets out of the van, and those two guards in the, you know, transit van, they don't even notice till they get to the courthouse. So all of this is in uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. Um, and tonight we have for you brand-new exclusive photos of the apartment where many of these rapes are alleged to have occurred um, and the party scene. So when I say apartment, not the real estate photos showing the really beautiful apartment with nothing in it because it's, you know long gone now he sold it these are the photos of his party nights and we're going to walk you through a whole bunch of what he used to set up for his big nights with lots and lots of ladies how many of those glasses contained drinks that may have had the drugs that rendered them unconscious before they were unknowingly raped many of them have been phone call they've received phone calls from the police telling them that they're victims so that we have and then if you were watching last night You may have seen this bonkers video of Sean Williams outside his apartment, and these guys, like, throw a punch from the elevator, a couple of punches, and you can see that they are protecting a woman in there, right? The story goes that that woman was in the apartment, and so were those guys, and Sean Williams wouldn't let her leave, and those guys got into it. So it turns out we now know what happened after this punch, what happened when the elevator got downstairs, more punches, and you know how we know... Because that man who threw the punch is on with us exclusively tonight. You're going to hear the whole story, everything, from who they were protecting and why, what the circumstances were, and then what happened downstairs. And let me tell you, it got bloody and there was a hospital involved. So that's all coming in just a moment. The other story I have for you is, I I didn't see this coming. I'm not sure if you did. Chad Daybell doesn't want to die, at least not unnaturally. Unnaturally. Well, so here's how I know, because his lawyer has filed a motion with the court. It's 11 pages long. Great Friday night reading after the show. Um, And he's arguing, well, I don't I don't want the death penalty. Lori didn't get it like they, you know, they took it off of her case. So how about, you know, a little something from for me? So newsflash, Chad Daybell. Um, STFU, that is not how it works. (laughs) <laughs> like, you don't just get to ask to have your death penalty removed from your case. Uh, but he's doing it, and I'm going to tell you all the things he's listing out. To me, it's obscene. Maybe you'll feel different. I don't know. Maybe the judge will feel different. Hmm. Fascinating. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to t- show you tonight was this thing that happened at a McDonald's in Maryland. And I love drive-thrus <laughs> I choose a drive-through all the time over going in a restaurant. I don't know about you. I just like the I just like the ease. Um, but I also get very impatient when things aren't going right, and I've you know been a little snarky here and there. But snark is about where I end it. <laughs> like I, I, never get out of the car, and I sure as hell don't do uh, like what this guy did when he pulled the McTantrum tantrum of a of the century. Take take a look.
3: Shut it down, right? Me some food.
2: that is a hangry man right there um and uh that's what you also call a deep fried meltdown so i'm going to show you the whole thing because it started and it finished and there was a lot more than than that clip and um the big question is did you get food what do you think that's coming uh, shortly. Let's start, though, in Johnson City, Tennessee, with the Sean Williams story. We're at day 23 of the manhunt for this dangerous guy. And when I say dangerous guy, you can put him in any category of inmate. He was on his way to the courthouse in Greenville, Tennessee. Uh, they put him in one of those uh, transit vans. They're, they're small. And there was another inmate there with him. And the uh, guards didn't even notice when he got out of his cuffs and his leg shackles and his belly chain and broke a window out the back and Amscarite. They didn't even see it in fact they kept driving for miles till they got to the courthouse and then opened the door and like where's the inmate I smell a rat do you smell a rat a lot of people smell a rat so the question is inside job but tonight that's not what we're talking about tonight we're talking about a few more things we found out about this guy like he's got three tattoos okay three tattoos and they're all in his left arm and his hand So I keep telling everybody out there, keep your eyes out for this chameleon with all these different looks. Maybe it'll be hard to tell who he is by looking at his face. But you can't do a whole lot with tattoos, especially when they're on your fingers. Maybe you're going to wear gloves. Mm, Tennessee right now? Don't think so. So here's the deal. He's got a lightning bolt near his shoulder. That's it right there. Okay. And some people say it looks like the white nationalist SS bolt. But normally those come in twos, so we're not 100% sure if it's a white nationalist thing or whether he's just, like, maybe ran out of money during the tattoo. I don't know. Then he also has a cross on his forearm. Again, it's all left arm and hand. And then the third one is this. Um, It's weird. Like, it's a symbol. He's got this on his middle finger. Maybe he likes to use that middle finger. Um, But it's just below that, like, the knuckle there. Well, it's between the two knuckles on the finger, but it's, it's hard to sort of make out what it is, but it's little. But those are the three telltale signs that if you're looking at a guy, you think it's Sean Williams. Those are the tattoos you want to take a look at. Uh, careful, though. Um, like, seriously, because the 52 alleged rapes of these unconscious and semi-unconscious women and children, uh, those alleged rapes, those are followed by these charges. Production of child pornography, child rape, sexual exploitation of a minor, sexual battery against kids, one of them younger than two years old. That's the kind of guy that we're talking about. Sexual battery against someone younger than two years old. So we've got these exclusive new pictures because um, at 5'11 and 170 pounds, blue eyes, brown hair, it might be hard to, to find him. But boy, the lady sure found him or he found them. Whatever it was, he threw these crazy parties in this very expensive, fancy um, apartment. And we have pictures now exclusive of what the party scene looked like inside. So take a look. Um, I guess this is a thing, but there was a stripper pole in the apartment. Um, He had a nearly naked mannequin. Well, there's the stripper pole. You can take a look at that. Wow, that was pretty secured. I guess there was some action on that. You can see how nice the apartment is, right? It's not like a, a, a seedy drug den that you'd like, like take a look and say, trouble, got to go. This would look like there's a nice Christmas party there. Uh, and you might be lucky if you got invited. But stripper pole. And then a tattooed, nearly naked mannequin. And the mannequin is flinging a uh, a gun. There you go. That's, that's the mannequin. Maybe that's a signal. Ooh, I don't know. That's kind of a creepy look. So then the... Um, Bottles and bottles and bottles of vodka. That's another party scene shot. And once again, when I see something like that, I get the willies because I now know of the allegations that all of these women were, were either completely unconscious or semi-conscious or various stages of consciousness to the point where they may not have known they were victims and are being notified by police. Was that the vodka that did it, that whatever they dropped into it? Uh, there's also a fridge that we have an exclusive photo of. And uh, one of the witnesses said that these pictures, you could see them on social media. Sometimes he would post these, and his fridge was just filled with beer. There's no food in that. It's just a party fridge. And that looks to be the fridge in the kitchen. So who knows if he was doing much living there other than just drinking, partying, and allegedly drugging and raping and videotaping um, his victims. So then the garage, we were getting more of a description on where the garage is. We, we were thinking that from the descriptions, it was right down below the apartment. It is actually a few blocks away, but this is his garage. Um, take a really close look at that, that picture, okay? Uh, because the entrance looks like that. There's that mural partially on the wall. He parked fancy cars Um, in that garage. And he had big parties there with swings, multiple swings. And if you have a memory of a party place like that, a garage like that, call the police immediately. Uh, God forbid that you are a victim. So I want to get to Brooke Schaefer. She's live in front of his apartment building in Johnson City, Tennessee tonight. So Brooke, you got access inside that apartment. We just saw the pictures. What was it like being in there?
4: Yeah, well, we've told you how Sean Williams really had a bit of a reputation here in Johnson City, Tennessee. Not a good reputation. He was known for throwing these big parties on the fifth floor of this building right behind me. You mentioned it earlier. The apartment is now empty. It's actually listed on the market for sale. But earlier today, we got exclusive access to walk through that notorious former party house. Take a look. This is the fifth floor apartment that Sean Williams used to live in when he would throw those big parties. He had a reputation in this town for throwing huge parties filled with drugs and alcohol. A lot of times I'm told the people who would come to these parties would be young girls. So you can see this space, it's pretty massive. Nobody lives here right now. It's actually on the market for sale as we speak. It's the entire fifth floor And keep in mind, I'm told it looks different right now than it did when Sean Williams lived here. It's a lot brighter. When he lived here, the walls were apparently painted a darker color. It wasn't so white and bright like it is here. But I do wanna show you these windows over here. These are the windows that Michaela Evans fell out of. She fell from this fifth floor all the way to the sidewalk below. So a difference now, these windows apparently used to open all the way up. That's how Michaela Evans was able to fall out. But now they have these little locks on them. They've changed it around so that these windows can't open as much as they used to. And you might've seen some videos of Girls on Swings, other crazy parties happening here in Johnson City, Tennessee. Most of those parties were actually being thrown in that garage right across the way. It's a motorcycle shop now, but it's a garage that you can see right from the kitchen of Sean Williams' old apartment. This is the primary bedroom here in this fifth floor apartment. This is Sean Williams' bedroom, and there's a lot of natural light in here, tons of windows. Even from the bedroom, we'll walk down here the hallway, show you massive closets that are in this room. From the closets to the bathroom, you can see there are windows everywhere, giving him what would have been a huge view of downtown Johnson City, Tennessee. All right, and as we were walking through that, I'm told that really that apartment, again, it's on the market for sale right now, but really even the apartment has a reputation, much like its former owner, Ashley. And Brooke, those photos that we
2: uh, showed earlier of the, I mean, the party situation that he would photograph, that you know, we saw all the bottles of liquor. um, it, It just, I mean, it looked like he was. He was a professional partier. That that fridge had no food in it. It was just booze, beer, lots and lots of vodka. I'm assuming that that's the story you're hearing over and over from anybody you come in contact with who knew anything about him.
4: Yeah, you know, it really is kind of remarkable. Everyone that we've talked to since we've been on the ground here in Johnson City, Tennessee, knows who Sean Williams is, for good or for bad. They know why we're here. They know the story that we're covering. Um, And yesterday, Ashley, you know, we talked to a former tenant of Sean Williams. She told me about these crazy parties. Now we're seeing it in pictures. You know, you're seeing the countertops filled with alcohol, uh, the fridge stocked with beer. And that former tenant told me that apparently during these parties, uh, Williams would even call one of the bathrooms the powder room. That was In fact cocaine Um, and from what I've been told and talking to people here a lot of the parties seem to start in that garage a few blocks away and eventually they would end up in this building right behind me again on that fifth floor uh, in the apartment a lot of the people invited so I've heard uh, were young girls well there's that picture of that garage
2: again Um, and I should just remind our viewers we've had other photographs and video of swings like party swings Um, in action in that garage. And, of course, then coupled with the stripper pole, I don't know if you could put that picture back up of the stripper pole because that's pretty telling about the kind of parties that were going on both in the garage and um, up in the apartment. Hey, Brooke, uh, great work. Thank you for the tour. I didn't know it was a full fifth floor. Like, the the apartment was huge. So um, that's very enlightening. And then to see, like, your view, looking out that window, able to see the garage, it's almost like he could make a plan.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was a little creepy knowing the allegations now uh, to be in that apartment. Like I said, you know, even the apartment sort of has a reputation, much like its former owner. Um, But yeah, you know, the apartment we saw today is very different in a way from the pictures we're showing you now. Um, It's obviously been cleaned up. They have fresh paint on the walls. It's a lot brighter. Um, But yeah, to know that he very much had a view of downtown Johnson City, Tennessee, I think maybe a little unsettling for some people.
2: Yeah, the the real estate pictures are beautiful. The stripper pole, definitely gone. It looks like a beautiful place now. I can see how much more seedy it was back then. Uh, Brooke, such a great job. You know, thank you. Thank you again for that. Really appreciate it. Uh, Brooke Schaefer's been doing fantastic work in Johnson City, Tennessee. Um, the, I wanted to show you a little bit more of that video of the, the, that punching, uh, what happened when Sean Williams was outside of the apartment door um, at the elevator on the fifth floor uh, with some guests of his who were on their way down the elevator. Well, it turns out that two guys and a, and a friend of theirs, a female friend, had been in his apartment, and when it came time to leave, Sean wouldn't let the girl leave. This is the way they recount the story. The men were saying, let the girl leave, Sean was apparently not up for that, and it resulted in uh, this video. So take a look at it.
1: Do
3: not ever... I can't... can't. Hey! Hey. Hey! Do not ever... I can't...
2: The man in the video who threw that punch is Stephen Moore, and he joins me now live for this exclusive interview. Stephen, thank you so much for for coming on the show tonight. Take me back to that night. That sure looked a lot like it was a rescue. Is that correct?
1: Um, Somewhat, yes. Uh, It wasn't intended as a rescue at first, but um, when we pushed us out of the apartment, which we didn't grab her and pull her out, we uh, got pushed out when he said it was time to go, and I said, hey, you know, Abby's supposed to come with us. And from that point, pushed us out, and I had to uh, call her phone repeatedly to get a hold of her to come out of the apartment. Because I don't think she had even realized that we had left yet. But she was originally and, supposed was to come afraid?
2: with was she afraid? Could you tell, tell uh, Stephen that she was afraid?
1: Um, now she didn't really seem to be um, aware of the situation or the way that we had pushed out, been pushed out of the apartment. because she was still like, kind of in the main living area. And we were down that hallway, like when she had walked through the door and the fire hydrogens on the right, we were about right there before I realized that, oh yeah, you know, Abby's supposed to come with us. And then we got shoved out the door from there on. And you know, I called her probably so let, a let, good 30 or 40. Minutes. Yeah, take- Sorry.
2: T- sorry to interrupt, take, take me past mm-hmm. this video. This is a very short 10 second clip. What happened when you ended up downstairs on the first floor and the elevator doors opened up?
1: Um. From there, we got outside, and that's when he had sucker punched me back. So, I mean, one for one. But um, he had split my lip open, and I got uh, three stitches down the middle of my lip, and I uh, had to get those stitched up to the hospital like, a few hours later.
2: So, so Steven, Sean Williams mm-hmm. took the stairs as you guys were going yeah, down in the elevator the and, and, and met you down there to continue the mm-hmm. fight.
1: Yeah. And then I had spit my bloody okay. teeth in my hand and handed them to Abby, which is kind of graphic. But um, uh, basically, here, hold these real quick because I was going to go back and continue the fight. But then uh, Zeno, or sorry, uh, the guy in the, in the elevator with us had pulled up in his Jeep because he had left when we got outside and ran straight to his car. Got in his car, drove around, picked us up, and we took off because uh, Sean Williams at that point was um, calling 911 for me assaulting him and, and as I- whatever.
2: Yeah. As I understand it, you're, you know, going to the ER, getting three stitches in in your lip for that. He's calling the police and suggesting that you're the assailant in this one. But did he not get charged for for what he did to you? Um, Like, did you feel like he was getting some preferential treatment from the police?
1: um, I'm not really sure because I never it never got past that point. So he called 911. I never had to speak to the police. We left, went. So Zeno's, or um, the guy's house, and we hung out there for a few hours before I got dropped off at home. And I had to call my parents to come get me because I was, like, decently drunk still. And they came and picked me up and took me to the hospital to get stitches. So, I'm going to read a few of
2: these um, these text messages if I can. This is the, These are the text messages that um, Sean Williams sent to you after he had basically mm-hmm. split open your lip and, and caused these three uh, stitches. He wrote, see you in court, punk. Thanks for the pool stick. You sucker punch like a girl. And he included a picture from the elevator. And then he says, finally got your address today. I'll be filing those charges tomorrow. And then he wrote, you didn't do S-H-I-T, to my lip with that sucker punch. I heard a guy busted yours so bad you needed stitches, no. though. Sounds like he's trying to say someone else uh, busted your yeah. lip, but it's not a guy. It was him.
1: Yeah, he didn't want to admit in, in chat, I believe, that, um, that he was the one that uh, assaulted me back because then he'd be incriminating himself in any kind of legal battle. So he was going to take me to court for civil um, uh, assault, I believe, and... I did get served a court date, went to that court date, and the court date never actually existed, which is strange in itself.
2: Well, given what we know about him now, uh, that he is on the run and he's a fugitive and he has his own myriad troubles with drugs and porn and rape and all of these allegations. um, Yeah, sounds like he's not much of a plaintiff anymore. Thank you so much for this, Stephen Moore. I really appreciate um, you filling in some of the details on this really bizarre mystery and and really, frankly, scary manhunt. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All
1: right. Thank you.
2: Stephen Moore joining us live tonight. Um, We're going to continue to follow that story because uh, he's still on the run. Like I said, you know, we're three weeks into this thing. So um, stay tuned. Meantime. Uh, We knew Chad Daybell had to think long and hard about his strategy in court the moment that he heard Lori Vallow's verdict was guilty. And now the strategy may be coming into focus. He just filed a motion asking prosecutors to please take the death penalty off the table. Can you do that? Can you just say, I don't like it, so make it go away? Newsflash, Chad, it doesn't work that way. Lori's kids and your wife probably didn't want to die either. The way it really works, explained very well, next.
0: This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan.
2: For Lori Vallow, Chad, he's not that into you, that's what we learned today, he's not that into you, Lori, even though Lori, you believed it to the end, even in your sensing, you stood up there and professed your love for him, and all this business, Uh, Chad's not going that route, (laughs) he's throwing you under the bus, we learned that today, he actually kind of broke up with you in an 11-page motion where he's basically telling the court, um, I was under her spell. She is the ringleader, mastermind. It's all her. And while we're at it, I don't think I should get the death penalty because she didn't. The affectations are mine, but basically the communication is the same. The motion says, uh, since she did not suffer that sentencing, um, why should I, if she was more culpable P.S. P. Chad, the kids were found buried in your yard and your wife was sleeping beside you when she died. So, you know, aside from that. And all of this is, you know, awkward because I don't think Lori knew all this until she's watching the TV in her cell. Maybe now. Sorry to break the news. Because they're not allowed to speak. Their communications would be monitored. And there's no jail-to-jail communications anyway. So maybe this is news to Lori. He's not that into you. Um... If you want to know just how committed she was to him during her trial, right through to the sentencing, here is a little reminder of uh, what happened in the courtroom. Take a look.
5: I have had many communications from people now living in heaven, including my children, Tylee Ashland and Joshua Jackson, my sisters, Stacy and Lolly, my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. I've had many communications with Jesus Christ, the savior of this world and our heavenly parents. I've had many angelic visitors have come and communicated with me and even manifested themselves to me because of these communications. I know for a fact that my children are happy and busy in the spirit world might have been
2: better to say Chad did it um, because she ended up getting life in prison, no parole. Chad's argument, because he's got a different strategy, is, um, and I'll read it, it is unconstitutional and acceptable to subject one of them to the most extreme punishment available while the other did not face that possibility. And he goes one step further, too, saying she, um, he was less culpable than Lori because he was under her sex spell. I want to bring in Dave Ehrenberg. He is the state attorney for Palm Beach County, Florida. Dave, I have not um, understood any state in the union to have any kind of uh, code on the books that says, if you don't like the death penalty, you can just ask to have it taken
3: off your case. Am I wrong? going to be with you, Ashley. Well, you can ask, you're not gonna get it. You know, he's he's saying that it's unfair because she didn't get it, so he shouldn't get it because there are some cases that say, yeah, if you have two co-defendants, and they both do the same thing, or one, he's saying, and Laurie's case is worse, then the other co-defendant shouldn't get the death penalty. But the Supreme Court hasn't ruled definitively on it. But here's the thing, it doesn't matter. Because the reason why Lori did not get the death penalty had nothing to do with the merits of the case. It was procedural. It was because prosecutors did not turn over all the documents in time, so the judge sanctioned them, saying, nope, we're now taking the death penalty off the table it is not going to be used here so that's not the case with chad so one has nothing to do with the other he is going down for this and the death penalty will stay on the table throughout the trial
2: yeah i i sort of snickered at all of this because i i thought we You you waived your right to a speedy trial and you had the advantage of watching Lori's trial and listening to everything. Your lawyer was in the gallery the whole time taking notes. So how could you not know that this was a discovery problem? It wasn't on the merits of the case. Therefore, it's apples and oranges. So to that, um, this notion that he waived the speedy trial, Dave, how much of an advantage is this that he got to see the prosecutor's playbook before he ends up going to trial? Because basically they're facing the same charges.
3: It's a big advantage, although it's going to be a depressing. uh, It's got to be depressing to see the person who is your co defendant get found guilty of everything. So you see your future here. But for Chad, he gets to see a dress rehearsal of his trial. And now, even more importantly, he gets to blame Lori. And Lori was so silly. Lori thought that she and Chad would be together forever, this life and the next life. So she did not want her lawyers. To go after Chad, they only went after him a little bit at the end, over her objections, clearly. Well, as you say, Chad is not that much into you. You know what? Chad may love Lori, but he loves himself more.
2: Yeah, it's, it is. We should have had a banner um, on the bottom just saying he's not that into you, because that's kind of what it just all, That was 11 pages just kind of all boiled down to that. Hey, Dave Ehrenberg, thank you. Have a great weekend.
3: You too, Ashley.
2: All right, look forward to the next one. All right, still to come, it's hard to believe we are actually approaching the one-year mark since the Idaho student murders. It's been a year of crippling grief for what's been lost, alongside a grim fascination with a mystery that is still unresolved. When we come back, the women behind the University of Idaho Murders Case Discussion Group on our never-ending passion for answers, closure, and justice in this case...
5: That's Nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X Monday is
2: November 13th, and that is a day etched in the minds of millions of us as the tragic anniversary of the Idaho student murders on 1122 King Road. And even though a year has passed, the case remains a true mystery. Much of that... Thanks to a rigid gag order that the judge placed on the case, at the request of both prosecution and defense, I should add. And so it remains, here we are, a year later, and we know little more than the day the Moscow police chief announced that they'd made an arrest. Take a look.
1: Last night, detectives arrested 28-year-old Brian Christopher Kohlberger in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania,
2: Those words back in December sent followers of this case flocking to the University of Idaho Murders Case Discussion Group on Facebook, and 98% of them have not left that Facebook group, and that is not hype. Those are the stats. 227,000 members, give or take, as we speak, tonight are part of that community. And I'm joined now by the group's moderators, Christine Cameron and Alina Smith. They've been on this case since the very beginning, keeping a respectful discussion among the members and weeding out the less savoury part of the Internet. Ladies, it's really good to have you back on the program. Thanks so much for being here. I'm just going to dive right in, uh, Christine. It's hard to believe that it's it's been a year, right, as of Monday. What are the members talking about the most at this point? Well, thanks for having us, Ashley. I would say that they're talking about three things. One, that it's been, you know, the entry is coming up, and it's been a year. You know, we haven't been to trial yet. We're not close to it. Um, and
6: we're talking about anything that's happening that's court-related, um, motions, hearings, um, what the defense is arguing. And then King Road is back in the spotlight. You know, um, when investigators were there last week and the FBI, you know, talking
2: about, Creating a physical model of the home has people talking about, you know, why
6: are you creating this physical model when the home is right there, when that is the biggest piece of evidence to this case.
2: That's a, I mean, it's a really good point um, because, you know, lots of juries go on go-sees. They could actually see it for themselves if they wanted to. Alina, talk to me a little bit about the metrics um, on the page. It's astounding that it's 227,000 members, but it didn't start that way. I mean, it started just a few days after the murder, right, at about 18,000 members.
7: How did it grow so, you know, significantly? Yeah, so we didn't open the page until November 19th, so a good six days after the crime. And we kicked off the page with about 18,000 right when we opened it off, uh, started the page. And then um, it grew within, by December 30th, which obviously was the day of the arrest, we got to 131,000 members by that day. And the other thing that happened significant on that day was we had um, over 6,000 posts on that day too, which... Typically, for us, um, in a month, we get about between six to ten thousand posts, and just in that one day, we had six thousand in that one day. And then, you know, it just kept growing and growing. We by January 21st, we got to almost two hundred thousand. We peaked at 199, 199,000, and then around April 20 or April 2nd, like around April, we kind of plateaued at 232,000. That was like our highest. And, you know, but we do a lot of housekeeping, too. Like, we get rid of a lot of members, uh, you know, for breaking rules and just not being, you know, the way they're supposed to behave because we do run a very civilized group, like you said. And um, so we, you know, we do that. We get rid of a lot of members. And then, you know, we we accept a lot of members. Like, right now, we have about 2,000 just waiting to come in. Last week, we had 6,000 waiting to come in. But it's a long process, and we don't just let them. I go through every single member one by one. I sit there and... It takes a long time. It takes me hours and hours to get through it. So I I don't just let anybody in either.
2: That is, I mean, remarkable. That's not the kind of thing you hear these days. So I'm just going to say it. I I so appreciate that you guys have been so respectful um, and that you have curated this community that really cares and that you have made sure that it's not poisoned by some of the really ugly elements that are out there. So um, my thanks to you. I do appreciate it. And like I said, I'm always thrilled when you guys come on the show. Um, And it's just sad that we meet at this moment. But um, hopefully we're, you know, barreling towards justice. Thanks, ladies. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Well. My pleasure, uh, Christine Cameron and Alina Smith joining us live and I always recommend you might want to join that queue uh, the University of Idaho case discussion group um, it's, it's good, good information and, and, a, and a civil way of discussing it and also remember to join us on Monday as we cover the one year anniversary of the Idaho student murders we're going to be live from Moscow Idaho, and Steve Gonzalez is going to be my guest Kaylee 's daddy's got some things he wants to share um, about Kaylee and about what the, you know what the last year's been like for them and the outlook for after the trial okay coming up next when abby Swoveland's mother died she did what you know any of us would do millions of us have done it before she went to a funeral home and she made arrangements for cremation and when they handed abby her mother's ashes she believed that is what she got her mother's ashes only on closer inspection that bag contained something that looked a lot more like concrete dust than cremated remains. And after the break, the Colorado funeral home that is scamming, grieving customers and what that funeral home actually did to all of those bodies in the back warehouse. Abby Swoveland is going to be live with me next. Save. They promised eco-friendly burials, natural burials and cremations, no chemicals or metal caskets, and will plant a tree in honor of your loved ones. That sounds like a place I'd want to go with my remains of my loved one, the return to nature funeral home, Colorado Springs, Colorado. problem is they weren't, they weren't really doing those burials they were promising. And when the neighbors started to say things smelled really bad, uh, police came calling and then set up this investigation because what they actually found was unrefrigerated, unburied, and uncremated remains. Many of them, hundreds of them, stacked up without even bags or boxes, just piled on top of each other like a Holocaust image. It was so bad, there was bodily fluid... On the ground and, and insects in the warehouse behind the return to nature funeral home. And John and Carrie Halford, the owners, skipped town to Oklahoma, trying to run from the law. But they were arrested on yesterday, facing a whole lot of charges. There's the the mugshots of them. Uh, it, here's what we found out: Colorado is the only state in the nation where funeral homes and cremation services are not inspected. Maybe that's how this could happen. But Abby Swoveland trusted the return to nature funeral home with her mom's remains. She trusted them. But instead, they returned to her a bag of gray powder that resembled a lot more like concrete dust than it did human remains. The FBI now has that bag. It's the bag sitting on her lap right there. And Abby Swoveland joins me live now from Colorado Springs. Abby, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. How did you find out that those, um, that bag of of dust was was fake, that it wasn't the remains of your mom?
6: Well, we had some suspicions from the beginning. Um, You know, my mom passed away in August. And um, then when things came to light, when the story broke at the beginning of October, we immediately called the crematorium that was listed on her death certificate and they had no record of my mom. They said that there would have been a a disc and a formal certificate of cremation and we had neither of those things, just that bag as you can see.
2: Just all a big scam. Uh, It's my understanding that they have now located um, your mom and identified her. Is that true?
6: that is true yes and she has um been handled and cremated for real this time by a local funeral home with uh very professional people working
2: john and carrie halford um may have allegedly been at this since at least 2019 some of those remains that they found in the um in the back warehouse go back that far years What do you think should happen to them for for what they did to you and to the 190 other families as well?
6: What they've done is unconscionable and they need to go to prison for this and they need to go away for a long time. They've been scamming families and causing irreparable, immeasurable damage to so many people that they don't deserve to be among us anymore. They've lost their right for that.
2: And and what would you like to see happen to that location, the former, I'm going to call it the former, return to nature um, funeral home?
6: What I would like to see to happen to that location is it needs to be torn down. Um, it needs to go away and not be there. And I would like to see a memorial and a beautiful grove of aspen trees planted for our loved ones um, that were promised those trees. I made it my goal to see that every person gets their tree.
2: And your mom, Sally, deserves it, and you do too. Abby, thank you for sharing the story with us. And again, I'm really sorry that you and your family had to go through this.
6: I appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Abby Swoveland, joining us live from Colorado Springs tonight. Okay, I am go- it's Friday night, and so I'm going to switch things up a little bit um, after the break. We've all been there, a little impatient, right? Waiting in the, the line at the drive-thru. But there is no telling what triggered a McDonald's customer to get out of his car and have what you might call a mega McMeltdown in Maryland. Take a look. What do you suppose the over-under is on? the fact that like did he get what he was asking for food or otherwise the answer and the whole video when we come back i'm gonna take you down uh, memory lane here (laughs) do you remember the old mcdonald's slogan from the 80s if you weren't alive in the 80s just work with me um you deserve a break today i loved that uh, there is this customer that we found who may have misunderstood what deserving a break today means because instead he had a breakdown. You don't deserve the breakdown, you just deserve the break. And he had his breakdown right in the drive-through lane. It happened at a McDonald's in the great state of Maryland. Uh, the fella got impatient, I guess, and decided to get out of his car, and then he just went McCrazy. And began trashing this place, uh, screaming for his food, and then yelling at all the staff. And if you don't believe me that it was like a big ass deal, <laughs> you take a look at the video. You oh,
1: no. Shut it down right now. <laughs> is
3: not Give me some food! Out all this. Out all this food. Give me some food. Me some food.
2: We um, do not know what was behind this deep fried meltdown, but it is clear that he was definitely not loving it. Story was um, screaming for a little special sauce, something super cheesy. You know those banners that we always do on the bottom? Uh, a couple days ago, uh, staff and I had some fun making banners, and it was like we're all college kids that, you know, would love to use our skills in comedy. So um, we did some for we did some for tonight. So just check out the bottom of your screen. These are some of the staff favorites that we came up with today. Did somebody say McTantrum? Will this end up in food court? Uh, coming in hot. (laughs) I hope they can catch up with me. (laughs) And what's the beef (laughs) or what's his beef? Uh, And would you like some fries with that rant? And then finally, who ordered the unhappy meal?
0: Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.